Welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha, a podcast shared by David Roylance. This podcast is dedicated to guiding you to completely eliminate the discontent mind and the suffering it causes by attaining enlightenment. Learn and practice the teachings of Gotama Buddha that will guide you to fully attain a peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy. To support this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha or visit buddhadailywisdom.com where you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online learning resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Now, here's our teacher to share more. Hello and welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha. Today, we're in our group learning program, studying chapter 13 of the book, Developing a Life Practice, The Path that Leads to Enlightenment. This chapter is titled, Identifying Cravings, Cultivating Non-Craving in Analysis of the Mind. This is where we really build on everything that we've been discussing so far, specifically what we talked about last week in chapter 12, where we discussed craving is the problem in the unenlightened mind that is causing discontentedness. It is because of craving, desire, attachment, and these other words that we use to describe this aspect of the mind that the mind experiences discontentedness. And a big part of this practice is eliminating those cravings in the mind. But how could we ever eliminate them if we weren't able to identify them, if we didn't clearly understand what a craving is and also how to identify them in the mind, the very specific details of the individual cravings. That's how we actually eliminate them is through identifying them. And the way that we do that is through analyzing the mind and understanding the mind more deeply. So what I'm going to do today is share with you how to identify cravings in the mind. We're going to go through some various teachings and help you understand craving a bit more. And then I'm going to give you some very detailed guidance of what to do as craving arises in the mind and you observe that, what you actually do. And then also we're going to do a group activity to help you start identifying these cravings because just like you understand meditation and you needed to learn how to develop your meditation practice and other aspects of this path, this is a very crucial and important aspect of your practice to be able to identify cravings and then eliminate them. So we're going to use a interactive activity to help you start identifying these and get really good at that. Because the better that you are at identifying your cravings, you'll then be able to plot steps to actually eliminate them. And that's where the mind moves into a more peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy, where the mind is enlightened and no longer experiencing discontentedness because it's eliminated these cravings, desires, attachments. So please that you're here, you're going to be able to ask questions as we go throughout the class. If you're in Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom, you can just put your questions into the comment section and our moderators, Basim, Manal, or James will see that and make sure your question gets asked during the class. And if you're in Zoom, you can electronically raise your hand and be able to participate live through Zoom. So feel free to do that as we get going. So now switching over to what I've kind of prepared to help you guys learn 
more easily is just kind of going through a few things and a little bit of this will be review from last week but it's always helpful to review this and those of you guys that weren't here last week this will help you to kind of move along in today's class and really understand what we're talking about here so what is craving desire attachment what is it because the word craving desire attachment the way it's used in kind of common language amongst most people is very different than the way that we use it in Buddhist teachings. It's important to understand how we use this word in Buddhist teachings and the other words that we use that are cravings, desires, attachments that don't necessarily use that same word. So this word craving, let's just sit with that one for a while because it relates to all these others as well. What a craving is, is it's the mental longing for something with a strong eagerness when the mind is pulling in a certain direction towards the objects of its affection if you've ever wanted a new pair of shoes for example and you felt the mind pulling towards those new pair of shoes and the mind just felt that if it got this new pair of shoes everything would be perfect that's a craving if you've ever wanted a new car or you've ever wanted to watch a certain movie, or you've ever been single and you really wanted a boyfriend, or if you've ever had a boyfriend, girlfriend, or partner and you wish you didn't have one, if you really wanted anything, this strong desire, this want, that is the mind craving or having this mental longing for something with a strong eagerness. The mind's pulling in a certain direction. We use craving, we use desire to explain this. We use attachment where the mind is attached or fixed or latched onto something. We also talk about it as wants, where the mind wants something. It really wants it and it thinks that the objects of its affection is what's going to create lasting satisfaction in the mind. But it never does because we latch on to the objects of our affection we obsess over it, we get it, we experience a bit of happiness or excitement, but then eventually it fades. It doesn't create lasting satisfaction and ultimately leads to dissatisfaction. We also talk about this in terms of expectations, where when the mind has a certain expectation of what should or shouldn't happen in life, or you have expectations of somebody else, like a partner or a friend or a coworker, when you start having expectations of other people and those expectations don't get met, then that's when the mind will experience discontentedness because it wants this thing to happen. It has this expectation of yourself or another person. And when that expectation gets met, the mind experiences this temporary happiness or excitement. But when it doesn't get met, that's when the mind becomes angry or sad or frustrated or irritated or some other discontent feeling. Grasping, where the mind is kind of grasping and kind of longing after something or yearning. We also call this holding, where the mind is holding on to something and it wants something so badly or clinging. These are all words that we use to explain one word that the Buddha used. In the Pali language, he essentially used one word but we're having to use multiple words to describe what it is that he was talking about. 
So it's this mental longing for something with a strong eagerness, where the mind's pulling in the direction. It has certain obsessions or objects of its affection, and it just feels like if it gets this thing, that it's going to create lasting satisfaction in the mind, but it never lasts. It's never permanent. It might create some kind of pleasant feeling in the mind, but because that pleasant feeling is based on some impermanent condition, that feeling of pleasure never stays around, and therefore it's unsatisfactory. It's dissatisfying because it's not permanent. This craving, desire, attachment, wants, expectation, grasping, holding, clinging, this is the problem that's causing the discontentedness in the unenlightened mind. This is what the Buddha discovered that is the cause of all discontentedness. If there's discontentedness in the mind, there's going to be a craving, desire, attachment, wants, expectations, grasping, holding, clinging, something in the mind. The mind is having this longing, this yearning, this strong eagerness. If there's discontentedness of any type, either painful feelings, pleasant feelings, or feelings that are neither painful nor pleasant, it's coming from this. And this is what we look to in order to eradicate or eliminate discontentedness. Because the cause is this craving, desire, attachment. So since that's the cause and it's being caused by our own mind, this longing with a strong eagerness, when we train the mind to not do that, then the mind can reside peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. But the unenlightened mind is not in the middle. It's holding something too tight. It's grasping. It's yearning. It's longing for something. Or it doesn't really care. It just lackadaisical or lazy. And that's why the mind is experiencing this discontentedness. And it's only when we bring it to the middle that we can then experience this permanent peacefulness, permanent calmness, permanent serenity, permanent contentedness, and permanent joy. Craving, desire, attachment is the first of the three poisons. If you remember back to chapter 8, we talked about the three poisons, the three unwholesome roots, or the three fires all different ways to refer to the same thing, which is craving, anger, and ignorance. These are the three kind of high-level problems in the mind that are causing the mind to stay in the unenlightened state. And it's not until the mind fully eradicates craving, anger, and ignorance, or unknowing of true reality, that we eliminate the unenlightened mind and we move to this enlightened mental state. This is also called greed, hatred, and delusion. And these three poisons have specific antidotes that are described in chapter 8. And that very first poison of craving, desire, attachment, so far I've given you the antidotes of breathing mindfulness meditation and practicing generosity. But today is all about identifying what the cravings are and taking active steps beyond breathing mindfulness meditation and generosity to actually eliminate the craving, desire, attachment. When we take those active steps beyond just the generalized training of breathing mindfulness, meditation, and generosity, by taking those active steps, we can actually eradicate these cravings much more actively and much more readily rather than just having the generalized training. But you need the generalized training to happen and be ongoing and consistent in order to be able to apply this solution that I'm going to talk to you about today. 
Craving is described in the Four Noble Truths as the cause of discontentedness. And because it's the cause, that's what we need to eradicate in order to move the mind to this peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy. Craving is the fuel that causes rebirth. If there's any kind of longing or yearning or strong eagerness or objects of your affection at the time of death, there will be rebirth where the being will be reborn back into one of the five realms of existence. Now, the goal is to eliminate craving, desire, attachment long before death, because by you eliminating craving, desire, attachment in the mind, the mind will experience this enlightened mental state and you will get to enjoy it for the rest of your life. It's what the Buddha described as beyond pleasure and pain this enlightened mental state. It's beyond pleasure and pain. Sometimes we think that we need to hold on to the pleasure, but that's just temporary pleasure. Once you attain this enlightened mental state, it's beyond pleasure and pain. And you can experience that for the rest of your life, the more and more that you train the mind. And having done so, you will experience this peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy and no longer experience rebirth. But you can also eliminate these cravings gradually over time and some people don't eliminate all their cravings until the actual time of death so you can actually attain enlightenment during your life or at the time of death when all craving has been extinguished at that point but like i mentioned the wise practitioner would take an active role in eliminating craving desire attachment long before death so that you can enjoy the mental state of enlightenment, never experiencing discontentedness ever again for the rest of this life so that you have 10, 20, 30, 50 years of being able to enjoy your existence in the human realm. So let's see if there's any questions here about what is craving desire attachment. Remember, you can put your question into Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom. Our moderators will see that and get your question asked, or you can raise your hand electronically in Zoom and ask any questions that you have. Can we have craving, David, for positive things such as towards the teachings or towards our family? Yes, indeed. There's no such thing as a wholesome craving. A craving is always going to produce discontentedness. So, for example, let's just say you have this craving, this desire for one of your family members or your life partner to be a certain way. And you really would like to see them get a new job, for example and get more income well that craving desire attachment someone might say well that's wholesome well shouldn't i want my family member to get a new job and get a better job well the problem isn't that the person is interested in having a new job for their family member the problem is that the mind wants it it craves it it desires it it has this longing this eagerness the mind's holding it too tightly so rather than having this want or this desire for this wholesome thing we should have an interest we have an interest for our children to have a good life we have an interest for our partner to go off and come back home at the end of the day we have an interest to improve our life and to improve our career and our job in order to improve our income and improve our life through having more access to funds, for example, or we have an interest to pursue an education, or we have an interest to pursue enlightenment and actually attain enlightenment as a goal or an objective or an interest. But if the mind craves it, if it has this 
longing for it, this yearning, this strong eagerness, that's when it's going to cause itself to be discontent because it's having this constant yearning for something. So that's where the Buddha talks about bringing the mind to the middle where it needs to be able to pursue things like enlightenment with determination, with dedication, with diligence, but not wanting it and craving it so badly. Thanks, David. Let's get a basam now for our Zoom questions. Hey, uh, thanks, Jens. We have a question from Amina. She says, Teacher David, is the essence of craving not being able to let go? Once an object becomes a craving, then it goes for wholesome to craving. I would like to have a relationship with my father, but I have finally let go of craving it. If it happens, okay. If it not, that is okay also. That is okay too. Is this a correct assessment? Yes, that would be where the mind's in the middle, where I'm interested in having a relationship with my father, and if he's open to that, then great. I will be pleased to have a relationship with my father. But if he doesn't want to have a relationship for any reason, then that's fine too, and I will be content and peaceful with that. That would be in the middle. Whereas if the mind wants it and wants it and wants it, and then dad doesn't want it, now the mind's going to be angry or frustrated or sad or feel guilty or shameful that dad doesn't want to have a relationship. Or if the mind really wants a relationship with dad, craves it, desires it, longing for it with a strong eagerness, and dad wants to have one too, then we get excited and elated and thrilled, but then that wears off and it wanes. And then we're left with this real struggle that we have to have this challenging relationship and it's a real difficulty to have this relationship and the mind isn't really interested in that difficulty. It doesn't understand that part of a relationship is to work through the relationship and meet the challenges and struggles. The mind just wants those pleasant feelings. So it kind of sets itself up to fail as soon as craving, desire, attachment, that mental longing, strong eagerness for a relationship with dad comes into the mind, it sets itself up to fail because if it gets the relationship, then it has this temporary happiness, but ultimately ends up with sadness or frustration. Or if it doesn't get a relationship with dad, then it ends up with that sadness, anger, frustration. So a better approach is what you're talking about, Amina, where the mind is interested, would be pleased to have a relationship with dad, but if he doesn't want to have one, then that's okay too. And I will just learn to be content with that decision and go on with my life because recognizing that his decision to not have a relationship with me is his decision. And there's nothing you can do to control that. So that would be what somebody who's practicing these teachings needs to come to. When there's craving, desire, attachment in the mind, there's this longing and strong eagerness what we tend to want to do is control things. And this becomes detrimental. And this is why it produces unwholesome results for us is that we try to control the things around us. And when we try to control things, it never works out to the way we expect. And that's why we end up also with sadness, anger, frustration, guilt, and shame. Because the more we try to control things, the more things don't go our way. And we just end up driving people away from us. So whenever there's this craving present in the mind and anybody who has an unalighted mind is going to experience that, 
whenever there's this craving, desire, attachment in the mind, then it's going to produce unwholesome results. Even if it's for something wholesome, like having a relationship with your dad is a wholesome thing. But when the mind is longing for it, then it's going to produce certain decisions that are counterproductive. And it's better to reside in the middle and be able to be content and peaceful if there is a relationship and if there isn't. And that's where the mind is now liberated from craving, desire, attachment. It's no longer being controlled by this mental longing and strong eagerness. We have a question that's coming from YouTube, David, from T. Harris. Is it wise to finish our cravings and desires with awareness versus just trying to drop them? There's active role that you need to take in order to eliminate your craving, desire, attachment, and awareness is part of it. And that's what we're going to be talking about today is how to build that awareness. That's why breathing mindfulness meditation is a foundational practice in order to eliminate craving, desire, attachment, because in breathing mindfulness meditation, we're training the mind to let go, let go, let go. But we're also training the mind to develop mindfulness or awareness of mind so that we're aware of the various feelings and the various cravings that are produced in the mind. And once we have awareness of them, which is part of this analysis of the mind or identifying the cravings, once we have awareness of these cravings, then with the generalized training of breathing mindfulness meditation and the generalized training of generosity, now we can take an active role to identify these cravings with awareness of mind and then put a specific approach in place, which we're going to talk about by the end of today's class, of how to actually set up situations where you can actively train the mind to let these go. And none of these cravings are really going to just poof and magically disappear. There has to be some effort behind it. As you train your mind more and more to identify these cravings and be able to let go, there will be certain cravings where once you're aware of them, you can just focus on them for a few minutes and you can let them go. But those are pretty easy ones that are easy to let go of. The more challenging ones and the ones that kind of stick around the longest, those are like almost chipping away a sculpture and slowly chipping it away and chipping away and chipping away until there's nothing there whatsoever. And you can completely eliminate it from the mind. And once you do, that particular craving You'll never experience discontentedness based on that particular craving ever again once it's eliminated from the mind. And we have a question from Anastasia. Is craving directly related with ego? The ego is different, but it's one of the things that the mind holds on to. The ego is part of the 10 fetters, which are ultimately what a practitioner is building to let go of in the mind and eradicate this pollution from the mind, but it wouldn't be able to do that until it does all this preliminary work as part of the Eightfold Path that we build up to to kind of soften the mind and then ultimately be able to dissolve the ego. So the ego oftentimes has this craving for arrogance, right? The mind wants to be above other people. And the mind will have this longing and strong eagerness to be above others. Or with the ego, the mind will have pride, where the mind wants to be very prideful. It wants, right, this longing and strong eagerness, this 
object of its affection. It wants to be very prideful about things. So what we talk about and we kind of describe as the ego, there's actually much more detail in there of what the individual cravings are that are kind of collecting into what we call the ego. And in chapter 16, which is three weeks from now, we're going to be talking about the ego and how to actually dissolve the ego. So we're going to talk about it in a lot of detail and then talk about how to dissolve it. But inside the ego, there are specific cravings that the mind has. And that's why this is before we talk about the ego, because we need to build up this practice slowly and gradually to get to the point where the mind is willing and able to let go of all the various cravings that are in the mind. Thank you, David. Those are all the questions we have for now. Okay, so let's go to the next thing that I prepared to share with you guys, which is discussing how this is the number one goal of the path to enlightenment, is to eliminate discontentedness. This craving, desire, attachment is how to eliminate the discontent mind. Now, the overarching thing that is keeping the mind in the unenlightened state is what we call ignorance or delusion or confusion, the unknowing of true reality. The mind is unknowing. It's unaware. It doesn't understand what it doesn't understand. So for example, the unenlightened mind doesn't understand that is causing itself to be discontent. It thinks that somebody else is causing you to be angry or it thinks somebody else is causing you to be frustrated and we blame other people. But when you learn the Buddhist teachings and you start eradicating the ignorance through cultivating wisdom, acquiring this wisdom, then you can slowly start to see and eradicate this ignorance starting to see that it's actually craving desire attachment that's causing the discontentedness. So while ignorance is the overarching primary reason why the mind stays in the unenlightened state, once you understand that, then the primary cause of why the mind is actually discontent is craving desire attachment. That's why these are part of the three poisons or the three unwholesome roots. But how could we ever eliminate these craving desire attachments if we don't know how to identify them? So that's what today is about, is helping you to build that skill. Identifying craving desire attachments is the second most important skill that you could ever develop next to meditation because this practice is an independent journey. While you need a teacher to seek guidance with and have discussions with and learn the teachings with, it's truly an independent journey where day to day, moment to moment, you're in your own life and you're making decisions based on the wisdom that you've acquired. Well, you're meditating on your own, you're practicing generosity on your own, you're doing all these other aspects of this path and your teacher's not looking over your shoulder to figure out what you are or are not doing. It's your own independent practice that you're choosing to walk. Your teacher can't point out all the individual cravings that you're having. But as you're developing your meditation practice, just like you come to your teacher to seek guidance to develop that, you need to seek guidance and understanding how to identify your cravings. And the more that you build this important skill, then on your own, you will be able to identify more and more of your cravings. But still, there's going to be certain times, even six months, a year from now, where 
you'll be struggling with something, you'll be having discontentedness and you're not quite able to see what's the craving desire attachment that's causing it. And that's where you reach out to your teacher at any point as you're building up your practice and we help you to be able to identify these cravings so that more and more you can do this on your own. So just like you do meditation on your own as an independent practice, but you seek guidance, you're going to need to seek guidance on this as well. Breathing mindfulness meditation is training the mind to let go of the craving desire attachments in general, but it's through identifying the cravings through awareness of mind or right mindfulness. And we're developing that in meditation, but we're practicing awareness of mind or right mindfulness in day-to-day life, moment to moment. And once you're aware of these craving desire attachments, then you can apply right effort, which is to eliminate the unwholesome qualities and arise the wholesome qualities. And you're doing this outside of meditation. Meditation, like I said, you're developing your awareness of mind, your developing right concentration, which we talk about in terms of meditation. You're also taking right effort to eliminate unwholesome qualities and arise wholesome qualities in meditation. And because you're training the mind that way in meditation, then outside of meditation for all the rest of your day, you're then actively able to use that concentration, use that awareness of mind or right mindfulness and apply right effort. Whenever you see discontentedness arise, you can actively work to let that go because in meditation, you're actively training the mind over multiple sessions to let certain things go and focus on the breath because you're training the mind to let go, let go, let go and focus on the breath and breathing mindfulness meditation in daily life, the mind will be more aptly prepared to do that. So that's why the meditation is a foundational practice as well as practicing generosity, training the mind to let go. This mental discipline that we're cultivating, that is the sixth, seventh, and eighth step of the Eightfold Path is right effort, right mindfulness, and right concentration. This is all coming together to produce these beneficial results of eliminating craving desire attachment. And as you eliminate this craving desire attachment, the mind moves to this peacefulness, calmness, serenity, and contentedness with joy, the enlightened mind, because there's no longer this yearning to have something in particular. You'll be pursuing your needs in life rather than all the things you want. But the unenlightened mind just has this endless list of wants, and it thinks that the next shiny object around the corner is going to create lasting satisfaction in the mind. But it keeps craving and craving and craving and chasing after the objects of its affection. And once it acquires what it wants, for a temporary period of time, it feels pleasant feelings. But then those fade and the mind's right back to sadness, anger, frustration, irritation, or some other painful feeling or a feeling that is neither painful nor pleasant. So it's only when you eradicate this longing and chasing after these pleasant feelings, these temporary pleasant feelings, that the mind then can come into this enlightened mental state where it's content and peaceful if it has a relationship with dad, and it's content and peaceful if it doesn't. And that's fine. And the mind can reside peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. What we're essentially talking about here 
is that discontentedness is the red light that is alerting you to something's in the mind causing discontentedness. This discontentedness that you experience, whether it's sadness, anger, frustration, irritation, annoyance, guilt, shame, fear, all of those painful feelings and others are a red light saying, hey, there's some craving, desire, attachment here in the mind. You've got to look at this. You've got to address this. You've got to identify what this is, figure it out and eradicate it so that you will no longer experience this ever again. Just like when if you were driving a car and a red light comes up on the dashboard, you would pull over and you would investigate. Is it the oil? Is it the coolant? You know, is the engine overheating? Is there a battery problem? What is the problem in this car? And sometimes you can figure it out yourself. Sometimes you have to take it into the shop. Same thing. When the mind experiences discontentedness, you've got to reflect on that and you've got to figure it out because that's the red light. And sometimes you can figure that on on your own. Other times you have to reach out to the teacher and seek guidance and ask for help. Sometimes even if you think you figured it out, you still might want to consult with a teacher and get help to identify what are your attachments that are causing this discontentedness. So just like we experience painful feelings that are a result of craving, desire, attachment, we also experience pleasant feelings or happiness, excitement, and elation, thrill, euphoria because of craving, desire, attachment. When the mind is enlightened, there's permanent joy. So you're not really eliminating happiness. You're eliminating conditioned happiness where your happiness is based on some condition. Instead, you're going to have this unconditioned happiness, for example, or unconditioned joy. This unconditioned joy is the mind's just always going to be joyful because it's no longer longing or yearning for something. So it might sound kind of odd for someone who's just starting out on this path that when happiness arises, you need to cut that off and let it go. Or when excitement arises, you need to cut that off and let it go or elation because that's kind of what a human being lives for in the unenlightened state is it really wants that happiness, excitement and elation. But those are all temporary, pleasant feelings based on some impermanent condition. And as long as the mind is holding on and unwilling to let go of these impermanent conditions that are creating this impermanent pleasant feelings, then it's never going to experience permanent joy that's just always there because it's continuing to chase after this temporary impermanent happiness. So just like your painful feelings of discontentedness are a red light, the pleasant feelings are also a red light on the dashboard as well alerting you to some craving, desire, attachment. Now, in the last class, I gave an example of if your mom hasn't been to your house for a while and you really crave, you have this longing and this yearning for your mom to just come over and see where you live so you can show her that you're doing well and that you've kind of grown and become an adult. Well, if you have this longing and strong eagerness for mom to come over 
If mom comes over, the mind experiences the happiness, excitement, and elation because the mind is longing or yearning for it, right? It doesn't mean there's anything wrong with mom coming to your house because that's something that we should be interested in. We would be pleased to invite mom over, bring her over to our house, show her around, and help her see what's going on. But if we long for it, if we have this yearning for it, if we have this strong eagerness for it, then when she chooses not to come over for two, three, four years, the mind's going to be sad and angry and frustrated. Or if she does come over, then the mind's going to be happy, excited, and elated. But then that's going to fade over time, and the mind's going to eventually end up in sadness, anger, and frustration again. Or if there's these craving desire attachments in there, you might experience feelings that are neither painful nor pleasant. I put in there things like boredom or loneliness or shyness, kind of this uncomfortable feeling. If you've ever been sitting on a bus and a stranger came over and sat next to you, somebody who you don't know, and if you were uncomfortable with that, that is a feeling that is neither painful nor pleasant. It wasn't painful for the stranger to sit next to you. It wasn't pleasant for them to sit next to you. It was neither painful nor pleasant. Why? Because the mind has this craving, this desire, this yearning, this strong eagerness, this longing to have a certain space around you. And you weren't comfortable with the stranger's body kind of touching yours a little bit as you sat on a bus or a public train or some other location. You weren't comfortable with that because you craved the permanence of not having your body touched while you're sitting in a public space. And even though the bus was a little bit crowded, your mind was uncomfortable with that. That's the neither painful nor pleasant, the uncomfortableness, the dissatisfaction, the being uncomfortable, essentially. So anytime you feel discontentedness, whenever you observe discontentedness arising in the mind, you've got to cut it off and let it go. And we're going to talk about how to do that more today. But each one of these feelings are discontentedness, painful feelings, pleasant feelings, and feelings that are neither painful nor pleasant. And until the mind's willing to let go of those temporary pleasant feelings, cutting those off, it will never experience this permanent joy that's just always there. This is what you should be doing as discontentedness arises in the mind. As you observe the red light, whether it's painful feelings, pleasant feelings, or feelings that are neither painful nor pleasant, this is what you should do. When discontentedness arises, cut it off and let it go. That will become easier and easier as you practice breathing mindfulness meditation and generosity. Those are the generalized trainings that are kind of softening the mind up and preparing it and getting it comfortable with letting go. If you didn't have those on board on a, a consistent basis, you wouldn't be able to just do what I'm talking about here. So it's only when you develop this practice over a consistent long-term period of breathing mindfulness meditation and generosity that they generally kind of train the mind so that then as you observe the painful feelings, pleasant feelings, or feelings that are neither painful nor pleasant arising, you can cut them off and let them go. Now, this is where we may kind of talk a little bit about the four foundations of mindfulness. 
the first thing that you'll experience as discontentedness is starting to arise is you'll experience bodily sensations. For example, if there's anger, you might feel kind of sharpness rising as bodily sensations in the body. Or you might feel heat, kind of a a heated sensation that's starting to accumulate in the body. If you can catch it as a bodily sensation and cut it off there and let it go, that's ideal because it hasn't polluted the mind yet. But if you don't catch it there, it's then going to come into the feelings of the mind. It's going to become feelings of frustration or anger. When you catch it as bodily sensations, it hasn't yet polluted the mind yet. It hasn't yet become feelings in the mind yet. But if it moves past that, then it's going to get to those feelings. And from there, you can still cut it off. And you might need to walk away from a conversation. You might need to close the computer if you see something that is causing discontentedness. If you're bored and sitting on the couch, you might need to get up and walk away and go out and ride a bicycle or take a walk. This would be how you would actively cut off and let it go. Or if you're bored, you might choose to sit down in meditation and actually do some breathing mindfulness meditation as a way to kind of cut off this boredom. There's lots of different options here for any one given situation. There's not just one way to cut it off. But if you have that breathing mindfulness meditation well established, you're cultivating the ability to let go. You're also cultivating the ability to have awareness of mind so that you're aware of the bodily sensations and you're aware of the feelings coming into the mind so that you can more readily cut it off and let it go. Once you do and the mind is no longer discontent or you feel that you're able to, is move on to step two where you start reflecting and you start thinking about what are the cravings, desires, attachments that led to this discontentedness. Whether it was painful feelings of sadness, anger, frustration, irritation, guilt, shame, fear, any of those painful feelings, you need to reflect on that. But also, if you experience this happiness, this excitement, this elation, this thrill, this euphoria, you need to reflect on that too and observe how it's craving desire attachment that caused that, right? Because once you understand what craving desire attachments that are in the mind, you're identifying what they are and then you can take active steps to eliminate them. So let me give you an example. Let's say I left my cell phone at home by accident. I didn't realize it. I'm driving out in the car 10 or 15 minutes away from my house And I realized at that moment, oh my goodness, I don't have my mobile phone with me. And now fear comes into the mind that, oh my goodness, I'm not going to be able to call somebody if I need help. Well, in that moment that you see the fear, that's the red light that's coming to the surface. And you know there's discontentedness in the mind. The fear is the red light. Now, when I reflect on that, I'm like, why am I so fearful? Oh, because I'm attached to the phone. I'm having this longing with a strong eagerness. I'm having this yearning to keep the phone with me permanently. And now when I don't have that, that's what's causing the fear in the mind. Because I can't have this phone with me permanently. It's not possible because of impermanence. So now that you've reflected that, yes, 
you would like to keep the phone with you permanently, now you move to step three after you've identified your attachment. Now you start developing a plan in order to eliminate this specific craving desire attachment that has caused the discontent feelings of fear in the mind. And now while maintaining your breathing mindfulness meditation practice in your generosity long-term, now that I realize that the mind is attached or having this craving to the phone, now I'm going to purposefully leave the house with the phone in the house multiple times in order to train the mind that you can't have this phone with you permanently. It's not possible. You can't do this. And now by putting that plan into place where I'm purposefully leaving the phone at home three, four, five, six times, now it's actively training the mind, having identified that attachment, having an analyzed the mind and knowing that it's the phone, now I'm going to purposely leave it at home for several times over the course of multiple weeks and train the mind to not have it and train it to be peaceful, calm, serene, content with joy outside without the phone. And now you kind of flip back and forth, right? Some days you leave with it, some days you leave without it. And now when you see the mind is just as peaceful without it as with it, now six months, a year down the road, when you happen to leave the phone at home by accident, and you're driving down the road, and you're like, oh, I don't have my phone with me. Oh, well, and you just keep on going. There's no fear because you've already trained the mind to eliminate that craving, desire, attachment when you became aware of it. So through analyzing the mind, through reflecting and figuring out what this craving, desire, attachment is that created this fear, now you can take active steps by developing a plan to let it go. And this is just one example with a phone. And we're going to use examples from your lives today in order to help you see this more clearly. Once you do this with one particular craving desire attachment, it's just a matter of repeating the process over and over and over for every single incident that causes discontentedness. Every single time you see a red light, Every time you see discontentedness arise, you reflect on it, figure out what led to the discontentedness, and then you put together a little plan of how to eliminate it. And then once you eliminate it, you'll no longer experience discontentedness again. Let me give you another example. Say you bought a chocolate bar and you really wanted this chocolate bar and you bought it home you put it in the refrigerator and you were thinking, okay, tomorrow when I get home from work, I'm going to enjoy that chocolate bar. Well, it goes in the refrigerator. You leave for work. You come home and the chocolate bar is gone. Either your partner or your children or somebody else took the chocolate bar and ate it because they didn't know that you were craving that. And even if they did, okay, it's impermanent, right? But you come home and you see that chocolate bar is gone and now the mind's frustrated. It's annoyed, it's irritated. It may even be angry or enraged that somebody took your chocolate bar. It was yours, right? That's the craving, desire, attachment, the wanting, the expectations, the grasping, the holding, the clinging. It was your chocolate bar. Who ate my chocolate bar? And the mind feverishly looks around 
for what's going on here and it oftentimes becomes hostile and angry and damages relationships because of it. Well, once you realize this has occurred, now you realize because of the red light, you've got an attachment to food and particularly maybe even chocolate that when you buy something, you're expecting it to be yours and you're expecting permanence that when you buy something, you're going to eat it. So now you've got to develop a plan of how to eradicate this. So what you should start doing is sharing your food. When you buy things, buy two or three chocolate bars and share them with other people. Or when you open a bag of chips, you share them with other people. Start practicing generosity to let go of this craving, desire, attachment where you're holding on to things so tightly. Another example might be you notice that when your bank accounts at $2,000, your mind is happy and excited about that. But then when it drops down to $1,200, the mind is sad, it's irritated, it's feeling guilty. Well, that means your mind is having this longing with a strong eagerness, a yearning. It's having this expectation that your bank account should be a certain level or above. And you're attaching your contentedness to whatever level your bank account is. So once you see that red light that your mind is experiencing any kind of discontentedness related to the bank account, that reflection helps you to see that your mind is having craving, desire, attachment, leading to discontent feelings based on the amount of money that's in your bank account. Well, now you develop a plan. Maybe you take your bank account up to two or $3,000, but then you purposefully let it drop down and you train the mind to be just as peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy, no matter what the level of your bank account is. And this is gonna take time. You're not gonna be able to just drop your bank account once and the mind's completely cured of this craving. You're gonna to have to deal with this and kind of let your bank account go up and down for a while until the mind's finally not obsessed about constantly checking the bank account, right? So there's all these different cravings that are in the mind that once you train the mind to let go of them, that then it won't experience discontentedness related to it. But you first have to be able to identify this red light to identify the cravings, reflect on that so that you can see exactly what the cravings are, and then develop a plan to introduce some impermanence and allow the mind to get comfortable as these things fluctuate and go in and out of our life whether it's the phone, the chocolate bar, or your bank account. You've got to get comfortable with the impermanent nature of these things coming in and out of your life because the craving, desire, attachment, the mind's trying to hold on to it and it's craving permanence, but it's never going to get that permanence related to the phone. You're never going to keep whatever mobile phone you have now permanently. It's not possible. You're not going to be able to eat every single chocolate bar that you ever buy. You're not going to be able to keep your bank account at one consistent level for your entire life. It's going to fluctuate. So as long as the mind is having this craving for permanence, wanting to keep things permanently a certain way, it's going to cause itself to be discontent. So you've got to introduce some impermanence where you allow these things to fluctuate and kind of distance the mind from it so that you can let go and train the mind to no longer have these 
longing with a strong eagerness or this craving desire attachment. So let's pause here and see what questions you guys have and then we'll go on to our group activity in order to help you guys see this even more clearly. Would you say, David, that there can be levels of depth to cravings? For instance, with the mobile phone, we may have a, an attachment to the phone, but can this phone also be masking other attachments, such as we may have an attachment to the phone because we have an attachment to avoiding boredom or avoiding loneliness? Do you feel like it's useful to go to this level of depth when we're attempting to identify our attachments? Yes, that's the thing that I was going to talk about next, which is there's typically more than one craving desire attachment when there's any one particular experience of discontentedness. So using this one with the phone that James brings up, if there's fear that arises, we know it's from the phone, for example, but it can also be a fear of boredom or loneliness. It could also be a fear of your own death or something that's going to happen to you physically. Or it could be an attachment to your wife or your partner or your children. So you can oftentimes have three, four, five attachments even more in any one particular discontentedness. And the stronger the discontentedness, the more craving desire attachments that are typically there and layered in. This is why as you learn and progress on this path, discontentedness becomes tempered more and more and more as you shed away and peel back those layers of craving and there's only one craving in the mind related to that phone, you'll just be like, mm, I left my phone. Oh, that's too bad. I got to fix that. Or I feel a little bit of worry that I left the phone at home where if you're like, oh my goodness, my phone, oh, my phone, you know, and you're like really enraged or you're really upset, then there's usually multiple layers of attachments. But as you start peeling those back and you get into the jhanas, you get into the first, second, third stage of enlightenment, this craving desire attachment has been significantly diminished and shrunk. So that's why the strong feelings will gradually dissipate to the point where eventually the mind will be 100% peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy all the time. As you do this reflection, there's oftentimes more than one craving desire attachment there. And if you're enraged or you're super angry or you're extremely fearful or you're having real strong feelings about any one particular thing. So the stronger this red light is, there's going to be more than one craving desire attachment there. Thank you, David. I noticed that Josh has his hand raised. So let's go to Josh next. Hello, David. I have a question for my wife. Um, in regards to eliminating uh, I guess basic human desires such as um, procreating and having a child, is it necessary to completely eliminate that desire? Or is that not something that we need to completely eliminate because it is, I guess, deeply ingrained in human anatomy? Or is it not so much about eliminating the desire, but just about reducing the obsession with that desire? Yeah, it's important to understand how we're using this word desire right? When we use it in common language, we just think, oh, I'm, I desire to have a child, right? But what I'm describing is an interest or a goal or an objective to have a child. It's like, yeah, I would like to have a child. It's something that I'm interested in doing in this life. That would be ideal. 
But what a desire is, is I want it so badly and I will not feel complete if I don't have this child. That's a desire. So we need to eliminate that longing and strong eagerness for the child, but move it towards, I would be interested to have a child. If I have a child, that would be wonderful. I would enjoy that. I'm interested in becoming a mother. But if I don't have a child for some reason, then that's okay too. And I'm going to continue this life and be just as peaceful, calm, serene, content with joy if I don't have a child. So we're not talking about eliminating the interest to have a child or that you're interested in raising a child or anything like that. What we're talking about is that longing for it, that wanting it so badly. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about eliminating desire. Does that help you, Donna? Do you understand it now? Because if not, I would like you to keep asking questions until you, until you understand it. I don't know. I just feel like it's not something that I'll be able to do. Like, I just don't feel like it's something that I'll ever not create. I feel like that's realistic. <laughs> yeah, that's the way we often feel when we just start out on this path, right? Is that your mind is only ever used to wanting this so badly. And this is one of those cravings that the mind has that's very deeply rooted and there's essentially two different ways to eliminate a craving one is what we're talking about here which is cutting it off and letting it go right but sometimes the way we have to eliminate cravings is to actually fulfill it is through actually having a child and you actually having a child someday and then you realize that okay i had a child but the mind is still discontent then the mind at least is fulfilled. So oftentimes I give the example is if the mind really wants to go to the Philippines and you just have this craving to go to the Philippines and you just want it so badly. Oftentimes people can't eliminate that. In example, having a child, you probably won't be able to eliminate that until you actually have a child. Or you get to the point where you've tried so many times in your life if you for some reason can't have a child and then you're 35 45 50 and you realize okay i'm gonna have to just let this go or my mind's going to be discontent all the time so what we're talking about here is softening up the mind with this breathing mindfulness meditation and generosity identifying this craving it's great that you know you have this craving that you have this desire, you have this one, you have this yearning for a child. Okay, you know that you have that. That's going to cause you discontentedness as long as you have it. And that's just where you are. And that's just everybody has certain craving, desire attachments. And you know that your mind's going to be discontent related to that. But what you try to do is you try to bring it more and more to the middle if you can. But ultimately, the way that you may need to eliminate this craving is to ultimately fulfill it. And one day, having had a child, the mind will realize, okay, I've got this child. But now you're going to have craving, desire, attachments for your child to be a certain way, maybe, right? You might want it to be a doctor or a lawyer or an airplane pilot or some other occupation. Or you might want it to have a wonderful husband or a wonderful wife, or you might want it to have a good life. So what happens is, The real problem in the mind is craving, desire, attachment. 
and it's the object of its affection. Let's say you get this child, but then the mind is off to the next craving. It's off to the next desire. It now wants the next thing because it gets happiness, excitement, and elation for a certain period of time. But then when that wears off, now the mind looks for the next object of its affection. So we haven't really solved the underlying problem, which is the mind's longing with a strong eagerness. So by implementing what we're talking about here, we're training the mind to no longer long for things. But we realize that there are certain things in the mind that needs to just be fulfilled in order for it to fully let it go. And when you're aware and you identify these cravings, while right now it feels like you'll never be able to let that go, that's because you're just starting. And also you might need to just fulfill it in order to be able to let it go. But what you've got to do is get into training where you're using breathing, mindfulness, meditation, generosity, and what I'm talking about today, so that once you have a child, the mind's not right off to the next craving. Well, what's the next craving? You want a second child or a third child or a fourth child? Or now does the mind want the child to be a certain way? And now we start trying to control the child to be a certain way. So by getting this training underway, where you're starting to kind of train the mind this way, Ultimately, as you end up eliminating a lot of cravings through what we're talking about here and bringing the mind to the middle, and then certain cravings you're going to fulfill, and that's going to help you. But then long term, you've got to diminish and eliminate this aspect of the mind that it keeps thinking that if it just acquires the object of its affection, it's going to somehow be fulfilled. That's what we're fixing here. We're not saying that you shouldn't have a child because having a child can be a very rewarding and wonderful life experience. There's nothing wrong with having the child. The problem that the mind's experiencing is it thinks that child is going to complete you. It thinks that that child is going to bring you so much happiness and that this is all you need in order to feel fulfilled. But then when you have that child and you experience that temporary happiness, And then six months, a year, two years down the road, the mind is sad again because the mind keeps craving. So if we don't address the underlying problem, which is the longing and the yearning and the strong eagerness, wanting the objects of its affection, if we don't solve that, then the mind is just going to keep finding itself to be discontent over and over because it keeps thinking this next object of its affection is going to be fulfilling for your life but it never has lasting fulfillment because you're basing your inner feelings on some condition that's impermanent. Yeah. That makes sense. (laughs) That makes sense? Okay. I'm glad you're asking more and more follow-up questions because if you don't quite feel like you're understanding or if I've quite hit it exactly the way you need to hear it, be sure to ask follow-up questions to be sure Mm -hmm. you really get it. Okay. And then I guess with um, developing a plan to eliminate these cravings um unfortunately she can't really leave her mind at home and then leave the house to practice it that way so is there a way to actually develop a plan to eliminate the desire such as this one yeah one of the things you can do is since you know you have this affection for children and you are really interested in having children in your life is to spend time with children 
And initially that might bring some sadness and because you really want your own. But being around other moms, being around other children, playing with other children, playing with nieces and nephews and things like this, it will help you to experience being around children and kind of filling up that a little bit. But it seems like in your mind, you have this real craving, desire, attachment to have your own child, which is understandable. A lot of people have that. So you can try to fill up the mind with as much interaction with other people's children as possible. And this is not only going to help fulfill your craving, desire, attachment, but it's going to help you to learn how to be a good mom so that when your child comes along, you'll have had lots of interaction with children and know how to do that really, really well. So that's one way. But then, of course, training the mind with this breathing, mindfulness, meditation and generosity is going to knock down this strong yearning and eagerness where over time, many months, maybe years, the mind can more comfortably get to a point where you just feel like, okay, I would like to have kids. I would be pleased to have kids as something that I'm interested in doing. And I'm going to pursue that in this life. But if for some reason something happens where I'm unable to have children, then I'm going to need to find a way to be comfortable with that. And that might be hard to hear right now because the mind wants it so badly. But if you chip away at this over six months, a year, two years, eventually you can get to this place where the mind can be content with children or without children. And surrounding yourself with other children and spending time with other children can be one way to help you fill up that part of your life that you're interested in being around children while you're getting all this other training underway. It's going to take time. This is a really strong craving for you, I'm sure. It is, yeah, but I, I understand yeah. the path and kind of how to practice what you're saying, so I'll yeah. try. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Go ahead, Josh. Oh, sorry. I, I was going to say, I think one of her... Um, one of her main struggles is being patient with herself and accepting that it's gradual and it doesn't come immediately and it's going to take some time. Absolutely. That's a big part of it, being patient and understanding that and just allowing you to progress in life. And I think a big part of this is also understanding that you haven't done anything wrong here, right? Because oftentimes in these traditions, we're oftentimes made to feel guilty, shameful, or fearful, as if we've done something bad or we've done something wrong. The Buddhist teachings aren't doing that. The Buddhist teachings aren't saying you're bad for having a craving for children or that you've done something wrong for having a craving for children. You're not a bad person. You haven't done anything wrong. Your mind's doing the same thing that everyone else's mind does, which is it has this craving, desire, attachment, this longing with a strong eagerness. So you haven't done anything wrong. You're not a bad person. There's no reason to feel guilty or shameful or fearful or anything like that. It's just what these teachings are doing is they're explaining to you why is the mind discontent. And then once you understand why and you have that wisdom, now you can take active steps to eliminate it. Not because you're a bad person or you've done anything wrong, but just because the mind will be more free and liberated when you can get to a point where the mind is able to accept if you have children, that's fine. And if you don't have children, that's fine too. The mind will then be liberated from this craving, desire, attachment. 
So it's important to understand that the Buddhist teachings aren't necessarily saying what's right or wrong in order to feel guilt or shame or fear. He's just helping you to understand why the mind's experiencing this discontentedness so you can take active steps to eliminate it. Okay, thank you. You're welcome. Well, we have a question from Amina. She says, in terms of identifying feelings, which are neither painful or pleasant, lately I have noticed that sometimes people on the street look at their reflections in shop windows. And it led me to realize that I have the same habit sometimes. Is this a craving to see the self, ensure that the self is there? Now that the mind is aware, will make an effort to stop this habit. Any guidance on this issue of self-reflection and a need for reassurance? Yeah, that can oftentimes be the case, right? That we're very interested to look in the mirror and look at our reflection and we're very concerned about our personal appearance. And this is from the self, that personal existence view, that first fetter that the Buddha talks about. This is the mind craving, having this longing and a strong eagerness for a certain physical appearance or self-image. And by not looking in the mirror or looking at your reflection, it will help you to stop identifying with this physical body as being the self. So that's a wise thing to avoid for a period of time. You know, there's going to be certain things that you need to look in the mirror for, but looking in the mirror for, you know, do I look beautiful today? Do I not look beautiful today? It's that I, 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 that self-image, self-identity that the mind wants to see and wants to project that if you continue with that, it's going to ultimately lead to discontentedness. Well, uh, that's all the questions that we have for now, teacher. Okay, so let's move into our group activity for today, which is I would like you guys to think about a recent experience where the mind was discontent, either painful feelings, pleasant feelings, or feelings that are neither painful nor pleasant, and discuss you know, what caused this discontentedness. What was the craving, desire, attachments that you can see that caused this discontentedness? And then after I hear the situation, just a little bit of a summary, and then what you feel that were the craving, desire, attachments, then I will help you to see if there's any other ones there as well. And if you don't know what the craving, desire, attachments are, you can share your experience and just say, I don't know what they were. I would like some insight on this, and I will give you some insight. So it's through you reflecting on your own situations of discontentedness that you will start to be able to identify these cravings and be able to then put together a plan. So I will listen to what you share in terms of the experience of discontentedness, whether you think you understand the craving, desire, attachments or not, helping you to see that. And then I will help you by helping you put together a plan of how you might skillfully let this craving desire attachment go through things like what I've talked about with like the phone or other things. So if you're in Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom, you can put this into the comment section. Our moderators will see it. And if you would like to remain anonymous, just put that as well and our moderators will just won't mention your name. Or if you would like to raise your hand electronically and say, hey, just yesterday I got extremely frustrated when someone cut me off in traffic, but that guy is the one who cut me off and it's his fault. I have no idea how I caused this anger. 
you can say that, right? Let me know that. Because the more honest you are and the more willing you are to share what's going on in your life in the various discontentedness that you're experiencing, the more help you can get to be able to see it for yourself. So whether it was sadness, anger, frustration, irritation, annoyance, guilt, shame, fear, stress, anxiety, any of those painful feelings, share what the experience was and what you feel caused it. If you experience pleasant feelings like happiness, excitement, elation, thrill, euphoria, or exhilaration, share that and we'll look at what the craving desire attachments were that created that. Or if you experience boredom or loneliness or shyness or any kind of unsatisfied, displeased aspect of your day where those feelings were coming into the mind, share that experience. And then we can talk about it, helping you to see what the craving desire attachments are so you can get really good at this, identifying them for yourself. And then we'll talk about a plan of how to eliminate it from the mind so that you no longer need to experience this discontentedness related to those specific craving desire attachments. So whoever would like to go first, just go ahead and share in Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom. Or if you'd like to raise your hand electronically, you can do that and we'll talk directly. We have an example from Gloria, David. Okay. She says, my fear of getting sick when I'm much older and being dependent and depressed. Okay, does, does she mention what she felt the craving desire attachments are? She may chime in, but this is all for now. Okay, so she's got fear. The fear is the discontentedness. And she's saying it's coming from her... Okay, she's got her hand up. I will let her speak. Yeah, so you have this fear that when you get older, you will get old and sick and not be able to take care of yourself. Okay, so what is the mind longing for with a strong eagerness? What is the craving desire oh. attachment that's causing this fear? Oh, I don't know if that would be a craving and attachment, but I wish when uh, not to get not to get sick or if I do like die quick, so not to suffer, no, no, not to suffer. Uh, and if I get older and I don't, not to get pain and suffering with sickness, and then one day <laughs> maybe just wake, no, not to wake up. So okay, that's, that's okay. yes. So here the mind is craving permanent health, right? The mind isn't comfortable with the fact that you're a human being and you're going to experience sickness sometimes. You can't experience permanent health. It's not possible. So what the mind is craving, it's having this longing and strong eagerness for, is it wants permanent health, right? And the second part there is the mind wants to not feel pain, right? Again, we're not saying that you're right or wrong or you've done anything bad to have these things in the mind. It's just what the mind is holding on to. It's having this longing and strong eagerness to have permanent health and to have permanent comfortable feeling in the body and never experience any pain. So, And then there was one in there that you mentioned previously through James is that I think you said you don't want to be dependent on other people. So you have this longing and strong eagerness for independence. 
So again, we're not saying any of these things are wrong or right, but we're saying as long as the mind's longing for this, as long as the mind's craving and holding really tightly that I want to be independent, I want to have permanent health, I want to ensure this body is never experiencing pain, as long as you have those wants and those expectations, that longing and strong eagerness, the mind's going to have this fear. Instead, what you've got to get to is you've got to get to understanding that the body is going to get old. The body is going to age. And I know you're 50-something, if I remember correctly. So you know the body's getting older. You're feeling the aches and pains. And you've got to accept that and understand that as part of being in this human condition that the body's impermanent and it's going to experience sickness sometime. And sometimes there's going to be pain. And sometimes you're going to need to rely on other people for doing things, especially as you age, you're not going to be able to do things all the time. And you've got to train the mind to get more and more comfortable with this. And maybe you you spend time around older people or when you're outside, you see older people and you see how beautiful it is that when a child is helping their elderly mom or dad, how beautiful that is. And there's nothing wrong with people helping you as you age. There's nothing wrong with that. And you understand that pain is part of living in this human existence. And the only way to eliminate that is to get to enlightenment so that there's never any more rebirth. Because if you continue to be born, you're going to experience this human condition, which means there's going to be sickness, aging, and death. So you've got to train the mind to observe these things in life and get comfortable with them while maintaining your breathing mindfulness meditation and your generosity. Thank you, David. Donnie has his hand raised, so let's go to Donnie next. Hi, teacher Bruno. Hi, um, David. Yes, we can hear you. No, hi, teacher David. Um, I've uh, just experienced a lot of stress and anxiety just today. Uh, happened about, I think started about two weeks ago when uh, I was supposed to collect uh, my commission for my client. Uh, my partner was, my business partner was supposed to do that, but um, something due to a miscommunication, it didn't happen. Um, the client, I reminded her, uh, but she did not reply me on my WhatsApp. And um, the thing has been dragged on for very long. So I think uh, today, a lot of things were playing in my mind. Uh, why did she not reply me? Is she going to avoid it? Um, am I going to have problems? How am I going to resolve this? And uh, it caused a lot of stress and uh, anxiety. So I think the craving was to want things to be done a certain way, uh, where she would be responsive and she would actually not track this on. Okay, perfect. So yeah, that's one of them there, right? Like you wanted her to respond in a certain time frame. That's that want or that expectation or that longing with a strong eagerness. You might want to look a little bit deeper as well. I don't know your life and I don't know you that well. We haven't really talked much, but you also have to look at the money part of it and see if there is any longing and strong eagerness for money. If you didn't get paid, is that going to cause a big hardship for you? Or is it that the mind just would feel more satisfied and more happy if you got this money? Like, I did my work, and now I want my money. 
and you know that creates some kind of pleasant feeling when we collect that money and do something with it so there might be that part of it there too something else you might be interested to look at is uh, and i don't know because i don't know you but look at whether there's any kind of arrogance or any kind of pride or any kind of certain self-image that you feel like if this person doesn't pay you that somehow that makes you feel less of a person internally like your self-image and or pride you have to look at those kind of things too and see if they're at play or not so yeah so some things to help you with this of course you know breathing mindfulness meditation and generosity is that generalized training but also when you know in the future that certain clients are going to need to pay you and you send them an invoice or you know there's a certain date that they're supposed to pay you by just know that when you set up your invoices or you send these out just know that they may or may not pay you as your mind is interested in doing and of course, you need to have certain business policies and you know pay their invoice within 15 days or 30 days. You need to have these kind of things as part of your business. But as soon as the mind latches onto it and wants it and craves it, that's where when the mind's expecting it, longing for it, that it's going to cause itself to be discontent. So what you do is you set up all your business processes, you send out your invoices, you treat people kind, polite, friendly, respectful, and you would think that people will pay you as you had planned, but you also know that impermanence, that it's not possible for all of your clients to pay you exactly when you want. So even though your invoice has a certain pay date, there's always gonna be some clients that pay you after that date. Now you do everything you can to kind of ensure that they are pleased to pay you and that they do pay you as you need, but your mind has to deeply understand that it's not possible for everyone to pay you by that date. It's just not gonna happen. So therefore you kind of plan your finances and your money that you have in reserve in a way that if somebody didn't pay you and they went a week or two late, that you would still be okay. Because there are gonna be situations where people are late on their payments. It's just going to happen because of impermanence. So you continue to run your business, have your policies, set up your various procedures, but then just train the mind as you send out these invoices that this is not realistic, that all of them can be paid exactly when you want it to be paid. Um, uh, just an observation. Uh, I would not have any hardship in terms of money. Yeah, pride can oftentimes be a big one, especially if you're doing a particular work that's very creative or you're very involved in the work. Whereas if like you were a boss and it was all your employees doing the work, you might not have the same ownership over it. Whereas if you're deeply involved in the project, you're deeply involved with the client, maybe even if you know the client and it's been kind of like a relationship there, there's more time for the mind to kind of latch on and kind of have expectations of this person because you're deeply involved in the project and you have a certain level of comfort with this person, a certain level of relationship that oftentimes the mind can latch on more tightly and feel like, okay, there's this certain pride that if they pay me, that you'll feel that pride by getting the money and feel like, aha, 
I did a good job, I accomplished the work. But in reality, since there is no hardship, if you get paid by the time that your invoice says to get paid, or you get paid two or three weeks later, it's not really a big difference in terms of your livelihood and sustaining your life. But if the mind latches on and it wants to get paid by June 1st, and that payment doesn't come in on June 1st, but it wants it so badly, that's when it's kind of setting itself up to fail. Because if the payment comes in on June 3rd, it's just as applicable and it's not going to affect your livelihood. But it's when the mind latches on to June 1st that when it doesn't get it by then, that's when it gets angry or frustrated or irritated. And now the problems that we cause is now we start talking to people around us and other clients in an aggressive way. And we start treating people unkind just because of this one incident. So we've got to train the mind to not have this longing with a strong eagerness to get paid at a certain time, although we set up our processes to try to get things done in a certain way, but realize that that's not going to happen. And then when somebody doesn't pay us as we had planned, don't allow those feelings, if there's any discontentedness that arises, don't allow those feelings to be projected towards other clients or other people in your personal life, because then it's going to affect you in other parts of your life. Thank you, teacher David. You're welcome. Let's go to Josh now, David. Sure. Hello, David. Donna and I both have uh, situations to share. I'll let Donna go first. Um, so I work in customer service and I, I feel a lot of uh, discontentedness when um, customers yell at me because I just want to be respected and I'm just trying to help. So um, I experience a lot of anger um, about that when that occurs. <laughs> And I do try to make sure that like when the next customer walks in that I don't take out my frustration on them and I think I'm getting a little bit better about that, but I, I still specifically angry towards that one person. Sure, so this is yet another example of how the mind experiences this discontentedness because it's craving permanence. In this situation, the mind is craving that all my customers should be respectful. Again, we're not talking about what's right or wrong, right? Because, of course, it would be wonderful if everyone in the world was completely respectful. But because of impermanence, that's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. But the mind's expecting it. It's wanting it. It's having this longing, this yearning, this strong eagerness for everyone to be respectful. And when you don't get that permanence, that's when the mind becomes angry. Also, there's a certain self-image or a certain pride or arrogance, same thing we talked about with Donnie, that the mind feels like, okay, if this person's yelling at me, that means my coworkers and the other customers are probably gonna look at me in a bad way, in a negative way. What you've gotta train the mind to understand is that person yelling or being upset, that's their own lack of wisdom, their own lack of moral conduct, and their own lack of mental discipline. In the situation where you're doing the best that you can do, their mind becoming angry and irate is because of their craving desire attachment. Mm -hmm. Their craving desire attachment is, I want my car fixed now, right? They're having this longing and strong eagerness to get their car fixed. So it's producing anger in their mind and they're using wrong speech and trying to yell at you, right? So you've got to recognize it for what it is, is they are causing their own discontentedness 
because of their own lack of wisdom. They don't realize that craving, desire, attachment is causing their discontentedness. And they don't have the moral conduct. They don't have right speech to understand that they are causing themselves harm by talking to you that way. Because you're going to be disinterested to help them when they talk to you that way. So they're causing their own self-harm because of their lack of moral conduct and their lack of mental discipline because they don't have right concentration. They don't have right mindfulness. They're not applying right effort. They're lacking mental discipline. They're just causing themselves all this harm. But when you allow your own craving, desire, attachment, craving for respect to arise anger in your mind, now you're causing your harm. You're causing yourself to be unconcentrated. Probably when you get angry, you find it much more difficult to work because now mm. your mind's more cluttered and more muddled. Whereas if you recognize it for what it is, which is they're causing their own discontentedness and you can maintain your calmness and your composure, now you'll be able to function in your job with much more of a clear mind. So what you've got to do is when people are yelling at you or when people are being disrespectful, you've got to handle that in whichever way your boss has trained you to handle it. But in your mind, you've got to recognize it for what it is. You've got to see true reality. And what true reality is in this situation is they are causing their own discontentedness. They're lacking wisdom, moral conduct, and mental discipline. And while you need to do your work and do your job, you don't need to get angry. You can just stay calm and peaceful, but you have to train the mind to be able to do that. And that's where breathing mindfulness meditation and generosity mm -hmm. is helpful. And then the better that you speak with right speech and all the other teachings of the Buddha along the Eightfold Path, you'll find that your interactions with people will become a lot easier. So do you see that the craving desire attachment is your craving permanence where everyone should be respectful? Yes. Okay, so you've got to let that go. You've got to let that yeah. go and just know that people are going to be disrespectful because of impermanence, but also because they're lacking wisdom, moral conduct, and mental discipline. It doesn't mean that you just accept someone's yelling at you. There's many different skillful ways to address that, but without mm -hmm. knowing how your boss has trained you to do that, I wouldn't necessarily be able to share that with you now, but maybe on a one-on-one -on -one session, we can talk about this more and we can talk about how your boss has trained you to handle it. And then I can give you some skillful ways to kind of deal with it a little bit better. But getting that breathing mindfulness meditation, the generosity and recognizing that your mind's just craving permanence, that can help you to let go of the anger and reduce it and recognize mm -hmm. it for what it truly is, which is their own lack of wisdom, moral conduct, and mental discipline. Okay, thank you. Yep. My situation, um, we've covered this one in class so many times, it's, it's almost comical. Um, I bought a brand new car, and for my whole life I've been driving broken down unreliable cars, so it was a huge change for me. So um, with this brand new car, I ended up getting hit by a garbage truck one day when it was parked on the street. And I was extremely sad, extremely angry, frustrated, every discontent feeling. Um, and then I ended up finding the garbage truck company. We exchanged information and then they refused to pay for it, which caused even more frustration. Um, and then 
Yeah, so I, I realized my attachment was to the impermanence. When I bought that car brand new, I expected it to stay like that. So the impermanence was definitely the cause of the discontentedness. And um, some things that I've been practicing to, to try to eliminate that is I've started referring to it as the car I'm currently driving instead of this is my car. This is the car I currently drive. And now when, like I used to be obsessed with keeping my car clean and washed, now I kind of, I allow it to get a little bit dirty. And when I do wash it, I, I look for imperfections and I find things like, oh, this is a, a new scratch. This is a missing chip of paint on the front bumper. And I accept that for what it is, it's impermanence. My car is gonna continue to change. So, and then it happened again. And then, yeah, I recently got rear-ended again after getting that repaired from my own money. And, uh, yeah, I'm still waiting to get this one repaired now. But even in the moment it happened, um, my wife was with me, actually, and I got rear-ended by, by this lady. And I got out of the car, and I, I immediately started freaking out. I'm like, ah, I just paid to paint this new bumper. And, and I started getting frustrated. And then I remember I was standing in the middle of the room and I just, I remember I closed my eyes, I put my hands together like this and I just took a couple deep breaths. And then once I took those deep breaths, I was able to come back and then I asked the lady, are you okay? Or are you injured at all? And she was kind of freaking out. So I was helping to calm her down. So yeah, it, all impermanence. So you cut, you cut it off there in the moment, which is good. But let's be sure you understand that it's not the impermanence that caused the discontentedness. It's that the mind has craving, desire, attachment for permanence. And when there was impermanence, because that's the universal truth, that's when the mind's craving, desire, attachment caused itself to become discontent because it didn't like impermanence but it wasn't the impermanence itself that caused it because we can't eliminate impermanence all we can do is train the mind to understand that it exists and that it's going to happen so that when the mind isn't holding on and craving permanence any longer and it realizes impermanence then it can become peaceful and calm because it realized, okay, that makes sense. I got rear-ended. There's some impermanence. Let's deal with it now. Now, when the trash company didn't pay you, the mind also got frustrated there. What was the mind wanting? What was the mind expecting? I guess the, the mind was expecting that the garbage company would, I guess, take responsibility and that I wouldn't experience financial hardship having to repair my car. Right. So see, this is where, again, we're not talking about what's right or wrong because it's right for them to take responsibility and pay you. But when the mind expects it, craves it, longs for it, you know, it really wants this. It expects that every single person who hits my car is going to pay me and they need to pay me. So again, we're not talking about what's right or wrong here. We're just talking about that's what the mind is craving permanence, that everyone should take responsibility for every accident that they have. When in reality, there's going to be a certain percentage of the population that just doesn't accept responsibility for their thoughts and the things that they do. Now, we can pursue, we can try to get them to pay, we can take them to court, we can do all these different things. But at the end of the day, the mind's got to find that contentedness where it doesn't 
crave permanence and have these expectations because as long as it holds on to its wants and expectations really tightly, it's going to be unraveled and it's going to be shaken up. And it's going to find that it's harder to deal with the situation when the mind's shaken up that way. Where when the mind can be calm and peaceful, even in the face of impermanence where this trash company doesn't pay you, now with a more rational mind, a more calm and steady mind, you can actually apply wisdom in order to handle this situation appropriately and have the best outcome. But if we allow the mind to be shaken up, same thing with like Donna's situation, if we allow that customer to shake up our mind and we get angry, then we can't deal with the situation in the best way in order to have the best outcome. Do you guys see that? Yeah. Yes. Thank you, David. Okay. You're welcome. Okay, David. We have a few situations that have been described on YouTube. The first is from T. Harris. I'm trying to quit alcohol. I work construction. And after a long day in the sun, a beer makes me really happy. I don't get drunk anymore, but the failure to control my habits causes discontentedness. Okay, so this is the mind having a longing, strong eagerness, yearning to let go of alcohol. Another great example. Not about what's right or wrong, because that's a really wholesome thing to get to the point where you let go of substances that cause heedlessness, and that's going to be really helpful for you. But at a certain level, you have to realize there's a craving desire attachment there. There's the mind longing for these pleasant feelings associated with the alcohol. And you've got to put a plan together where you gradually diminish and decrease your alcohol. So if you are typically drinking five or six beers a day after work, you need to go, you know, where you go four beers for a few weeks and then you go three and then you go two and then you go one. You know, you do that over multiple weeks and slowly decrease. And even if your goal is to do three beers a day, but you happen to have a fourth one every once in a while, you can't feel like, ah, I fell off the wagon. I'm gonna just go back to eight beers a day. You've gotta realize that the way craving gets extinguished is it's gradually over time, and you can have these little periods where the mind goes back to something for a little bit. But as long as you stay focused on what the goal is, which is completely eliminate your consumption of alcohol, that's going to produce the most clarity in the mind where the mind can have awareness of mind and getting rid of the alcohol will be one of the best things for you to accomplish at this point because it's going to make everything else that you do more difficult and more complicated so gradually diminish this in order to get to a point where you eventually have no alcohol for a long period of time and if you need professional help you know be sure to seek that as well but this is something that you definitely need to let go of this longing and strong eagerness for alcohol. And that'll be the best thing you can do is to let go of that because everything else as part of this path is going to be very, very difficult if you don't let that go. So you need to work on that one. Our next situation comes from RB3. I noticed that I crave a card game that I play. It's as if it's a drug. I've noticed this and have had to cut it off because of its addiction, not to mention the financial and time cost. I still have the craving, but I stop myself. It's like a fear of missing out, not having the latest set. It's also ego and pride by having the newest and best cards. As I have let go, I can feel a change. 
Okay, great. So you're seeing that very clearly, right? So this is gambling and playing cards and how the mind is longing to be the best player or the win, right? Getting that win, that satisfying win or flipping over the cards and seeing the great cards, right? There's that satisfaction, but it's all temporary. It only resides in the mind for a temporary period and then the mind's craving and craving and craving. So when you diminish that and you do the same thing like we talked about with the alcohol there, whereas if now you're playing cards three times a week, you can get that down to two times a week for a period of time and then get it down to once a week for a period of time. And then one week you play, one week you don't. One week you play once, one week you don't play at all and gradually fade it out like this. This is ultimately what will eliminate it from the mind. Now that we're talking about this, let's take away the financial part of it in the, the gambling part. And let's just say that you were playing cards, but there wasn't any financial part to it. One of the things is, is that with all of these craving desire attachments, for some of them, once you strip them down out of your life, you can actually go for a period of time where you don't indulge in that any longer and then you can ultimately go back to it not with gambling not with substances that cause heedlessness or things like this but let's just say like somebody's addicted to facebook for example where they log into facebook many many times during the day they check their notifications they feel really good if they have 20 notifications they feel bad if they only have five or they feel really wonderful if they have three personal messages, but they feel bad if they only have one, right? This is the mind having longing and a strong eagerness or craving desire attachment for some kind of satisfaction that when they get attention of notifications and they get this certain personal messages that that creates some kind of pleasant feelings in the mind. Well, what this person needs to do is they need to gradually phase out Facebook, for example, from their practice. And they need to get to the point where if they're checking it 10 times a day, they move it down to eight and then six and then four and then two and then eventually maybe once a day. And then maybe they go for two or three months without Facebook at all. Well, once they get to the point where the mind is peaceful, calm, serene, content with joy, whether they had Facebook or they don't, Eventually, once the minds let go of the craving, desire, attachment, you can actually reintroduce something like Facebook in a much more healthy way where you can interact with it, but you have now gotten control of the mind. Before, the craving, desire, attachment, the longing, strong eagerness was controlling you. But once you knock that down and you diminish it with breathing mindfulness meditation, with generosity, with the approach that I'm talking about now and identifying your cravings and letting them go, and you go a consistent period of time without that particular craving being fulfilled. So maybe you go away from Facebook for three months or six months or a year. Now you can actually gradually reintroduce it in a healthy way because now you're able to control the mind because you've gained mental discipline here. So these kind of things like this, you can work with. Facebook itself isn't bad or isn't anything wrong with it. But the thing is, is that when people's minds are craving it, that's going to create discontentedness and they're not gonna be able to attain enlightenment. So oftentimes what you have to do is you have to strip your practice down to bare bones minimum 
do that for a period of time. And then when you see the mind's peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy, and it's moving closer and closer in that direction, then you can kind of reintroduce some of these things if you like. So we're living a household life. In the ordained life, they strip their life down right from the beginning. As soon as you become ordained, you have two robes, you have a bowl, and you basically have a room to sleep in. And you go out on the street and people give you food. There's no car, there's no boyfriend, girlfriend, there's there's nothing. So they kind of get set up in this situation where their life gets very stripped down. But living our household life, we have a lot more temptations and we have a lot more freedom to make our own decisions. So we have to have self-discipline. We have to discipline our practice to the point where we strip it down to bare bones minimum and then go for a period of time like that. And then gradually we can introduce these things back into our life when there's no longer craving, desire, attachment. An ordained practitioner, they'll never be able to have a boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, drive a car or anything like that unless they unordain. For us, we will have all these things in our life, but we have to train the mind to let them go. Like what Josh was talking about with his car, like the way he washes it now and he looks at all the imperfections and kind of trains his mind that this is part of his car. So the attachment or the craving isn't the car itself. The object isn't the actual attachment. It's actually how the mind longs for it. So we can actually train our mind to have a car or have a life partner or have a child or use Facebook. We can train our mind to do those things without craving desire attachment. But oftentimes we have to strip it down to the point where we institute things like we're talking about today in order to peel away this craving desire attachment so that then these things that we experience in our life don't affect the mind in a negative way to arise discontentedness. So I just thought I would share this with you guys related to all the different craving, desire, attachments that we're talking about today. Thank you, David. Next is David P. I'm quite discontent with my boss wanting me to travel to China. China is the one country I strongly dislike traveling to. How do I let my strong dislike for being in China in quarantine hotels for weeks go? Okay, so... The breathing mindfulness meditation generosity that's the generalized training that it's going to take a long time with that but also loving kindness meditation david i'm not sure how much you've been doing breathing mindfulness meditation but typically after about four to six weeks of a consistent breathing mindfulness meditation practice where somebody's meditating maybe about two or three times a day and they've built up to about 30 minutes per session that's the time to bring in loving kindness meditation because there's a certain aversion, right? This is what we call aversion, where you're trying to push away China and you don't like it. This is caused by anger or hatred or ill will. And those are strong words. You know, maybe it's more like a frustration or irritation or annoyance. So the mind wants to permanently be in Thailand or permanently be in a country that you want to be in, right? You have this craving, desire, attachment for maybe Singapore or Malaysia or some other country and you're pushing away or have aversion to China. So while you need to have your breathing mindfulness meditation and generosity underway, eventually you need to bring on board loving kindness meditation. 
And you need to train the mind that you're going to have to go to China sometimes. It's just the way it's going to be. So you can be in China and be discontent and frustrated and irritated, or you can train the mind to just realize this is part of life and you're not going to permanently be able to be in the places that you want to be in. You're going to sometimes have to go other places and that's the impermanent nature of the world that as long as you have a boss, they're going to tell you where to go and you have to be able to accept that. So to be able to accept that, the breathing mindfulness meditation, generosity and the loving kindness meditation is going to slowly transform the mind over many months to be able to accept this easier and easier and be able to be peaceful, calm, serene and content with joy, whether you're in China whether you're in Thailand, whether you're in Singapore, whether you're in the US or Canada or the UK or some other place, you're gonna need to get to the point where your mind isn't attached to being in any one particular place, that no matter where you are, the mind can be peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. All right, let's go to Basim now for our Zoom experiences. Well, uh, here I mean a sure thing, the mind experiences irritation when our daughter's classmate displays behavior which seems selfish and greedy. When they play together at the, at the local playground. Okay, so this is the mind craving for somebody to be a certain way. We want or we expect, we desire, we have this mental longing, strong eagerness for people to play nicely with our child and be a certain way with our child. And when they're not that way, the mind doesn't like it because it's craving permanence. So you've got to let go and realize that, yeah, people are going to be disrespectful around your child sometime. That's life. It doesn't mean that we allow it to happen. Sure, we can step in. We can try to calmly, peacefully bring things to a better conclusion. But if we allow anger or frustration to arise because of what's transpiring, then we're going to be less able to handle that situation because the mind's going to be uncalm. Whether it's related to this situation or any of the others, like including David who just talked, while we understand impermanence that, for example, like David, you can't be in Thailand or the place you want to be permanently, or we can't have customers that are polite to us permanently, or we can't have children to play with our child politely permanently, while that's not possible, also, this experience that we disagree with is also impermanent, too. So this customer yelling at you about their car being serviced, that's impermanent. That's only going to be five or ten minutes and then it's over with and you're off to the next thing. Or being in China, it's only a few weeks or however long it is, David, and then that's going to be over with. So you just got to deal with it for that period of time that you're there and then it's over with or this child that plays with our child in a way that we would prefer not to happen, we have to prefer it not to happen and we have to make wise decisions to remedy it if it does happen, but we have to understand that when it does happen, it's impermanent. It's a two or three or five or 10 minute thing and we can step in politely, calmly, respectfully and bring the situation to a better outcome. But if we step into the situation craving permanence that nobody should disrespect my child 
or play selfishly with my child, when you step into the situation craving permanence, that's when the mind becomes hostile, angry, and frustrated. And then we say things and do things that are going to make the situation worse. Or if we crave to have our customers never be angry with us and always be respectful, then when they are disrespectful because of impermanence, we step into the situation angry, uncalm, and now we say things or do things that we would prefer that we hadn't done. So if we recognize that the situation itself is impermanent of our customer yelling at us or being in China or somebody playing with our child in a way that we would prefer not to happen, or even back to Donnie, like a customer not paying us is impermanent. It's going to be resolved at some point. This is just a impermanent temporary situation that we are experiencing. And we just need to apply wisdom, moral conduct, and mental discipline to bring it to a better outcome. And once we start applying that wisdom, moral conduct, and mental discipline, we can extinguish this situation where we can bring it to a better resolution. And the best way for us to do that is to maintain our calmness and our composure and that evenness of temper. Well, uh, Theresa says, I started a new job and was so excited. And it turns out that the atmosphere is super chaotic. I have been very frustrated and reactive. I realize I have a real craving for control. I have a real attachment to wanting things to be the way I want them to be and not the way they are. If I'm honest with myself, I also realize that my ego is really coming in to play. I can think of a zillion ways to improve procedures and have to check my ego. I have tried to use mindfulness to help myself stay settled. And I have reminded myself that it is me and my mind that is making my mind unsettled and not necessarily the job itself, but it's still difficult. Yeah, so this is a yet again another example, great example. One of the things that Teresa talked about there is she started a new job, okay? Whenever there's change, you should already be prepared that the mind isn't going to like it. Whether we change jobs or we change where we live or we change a relationship, we go from single to married or married to divorced or we go from having a, a pet to our pet has died. Anytime there's any change, anytime there's any impermanence in our life, the unenlightened mind isn't going to like it. So the more you can identify the impermanence that's going on around you, and you can just see it for what it is, which is impermanence, then the mind can more aptly deal with it. So Teresa getting a new job is impermanence. And right away, the mind being unenlightened isn't going to like it because there's new procedures, new processes, new responsibilities, new boss, new customers, new, 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 new. Or if you move to a new neighborhood, new, 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 new or you're in a new relationship, right? You newly get married or newly have a new boyfriend or girlfriend. New, 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 new. All this change, even though it's something you've chosen, right? You've chosen to get married or you've chosen to have a new job. And you think that, yeah, I chose this, so therefore it should be perfect, right? 
No, because the mind doesn't like that impermanence. So there's no such thing as getting married and living happily ever after. There's no such thing as getting a new job and it's the job of your dreams, right? These things are all challenges to the unenlightened mind because the mind has this perfect image of a relationship or a perfect image of a job and this next new shiny object is going to solve all the problems in your life and we cast all of our hopes and dreams and aspirations onto this life partner or onto this new job or onto this new customer and we think this is going to solve everything in our life it's going to just make everything perfect but it never does because the mind is still longing with a strong eagerness it's craving permanence and it doesn't like impermanence so breathing mindfulness meditation generosity identifying these attachments identifying when impermanence is starting to happen in your life and kind of preparing the mind for that that you're entering into a new job and knowing that there's going to be a lot of changes and you're going to have to go with the flow and be comfortable with that and sorry back to amina as well with your child having this impermanence of different friends playing in and out of her life one of the things you should do is have her play with lots of different people and get you comfortable with her playing with lots of different friends at different times people you've never even met before the more impermanence that you introduce into your life and you train the mind to be accepting of that and just understand that's all it is is impermanence then the mind can get more comfortable with impermanence whereas if like in amina's experience if she just has two friends that she always plays with and she just always plays with those friends and we block everybody else out the mind is just going to keep craving permanence so then the mind's not comfortable for a third friend to come play so because the mind wants to hold on to these two friends, because those are the best friends that treat your daughter well, the way to circumvent this and kind of reprogram the mind is have your daughter play with two, three, four, five, six, eight, ten different people over lots of different periods of time and train the mind to accept this impermanence. And with Teresa, you know, you go into this new job and just know that everything's going to be different and you've got to train the mind to just understand all these things. And you're going to do a lot of learning and you're going to have to recognize that all this impermanence, the unenlightened mind is not going to be comfortable with it, but you've got to be comfortable with it. You've got to train the mind to be comfortable. So, if, for example, if we're working on a certain project that our boss has given us and we're doing that for two, three, four days, and then somebody shows up and says, hey, there's been a change to the project. Right away, the mind's like, eh, I don't like that, right? But what you've got to do is, oh, change to the project. Here comes some impermanence. Sure, what's going on? What do we need to do, right? Or, you know, in Donna's case, you've had a great day. You've had all these respectful customers. All these different things are going well. But now this one car is being held up. And then you tell this person, hey, I know I mentioned to you your car is going to be ready at 2 p.m., but now it's not going to be ready till 5. Well, right away, you know that person's not going to be comfortable with the impermanence because you told them to, and now it's 5. Their mind is unenlightened. They're not going to be comfortable with impermanence. So you already know that you have to kind of ease this into them and help them deal with this impermanence. But you also have to be comfortable with the impermanence of 
they may be disrespectful. They may be angry because they're not comfortable with the impermanence. So what you're essentially doing is never allowing the mind to grab on and hold on to anything permanently. And wherever you see the mind is trying to do that, introduce impermanence into the situation as much and as frequently as possible until the mind just lets it go. I don't know if any of you guys ever played basketball, but you might understand this analogy. If you're dribbling the basketball and the person really wants to come and steal the basketball from you and you kind of fake that you're going to the right, but then you move and go to the left. That's essentially what you're trying to do with the mind. The mind keeps wanting you to go to the right and go to the right and go to the right. But you've got to fake and you've got to go to the left because the mind wants to keep pulling you in the direction of its craving, desire, attachments. And as long as you keep going down that path and keep fulfilling the craving, desire, attachments, it's going to keep holding on and latching on and it's going to keep expecting permanence. But by faking and going to the left and introducing all this impermanence and allowing the mind to get comfortable with that, whether it's in your meditation practice and moving your meditation around to different rooms or different locations, whether it's leaving your cell phone at home at different times, whether it's eating different foods and having different foods when your mind's craving one particular food and you notice that it's craving to have pizza, fake it out and have something else, even though you see the mind's craving pizza so badly and it wants pizza so badly. Don't give it pizza. Maybe five days or 10 days or 15 days from now, you can have pizza. But if you keep giving it pizza when it wants pizza, then you're just going to keep the problem going for longer and longer. So you got to kind of fake out the mind. It's almost like the mind is like this third entity and you're trying to fake it out. And when you see it's trying to crave pizza, you're like, no, 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 you're getting a salad or no, 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 you're getting a pad thai or whatever. You're not going to get that pizza that, that you're desiring, that you're longing for, that you can even taste it in your taste buds. Now, there's nothing wrong with pizza, but you're going to have to strip that out of your practice for a period of time, get rid of the craving desire attachment. And then once you do, then bring the pizza back in when there's no longer a craving desire attachment. Or if you're craving brownies or craving ice cream, you've got to strip that stuff out of your practice for a while. And then after you go an extended period of time without it, then bring it back in. And the same thing with all these other things, with our children, with the place that we go to work, with our projects at work. Whenever you see impermanence coming, you've got to almost just smile and be like, that makes sense. Here comes some impermanence. Now let me just figure out how to deal with it in the most wise and skillful way. Because if you keep being averse and pushing away the change and the impermanence, your mind's going to keep being discontent. So whenever you hear the word change or we've got to take a new direction or this isn't the way it used to be or this is something different than it used to be, those are all clues to the mind that there's some impermanence coming along and just deal with it in the most wise and skillful way possible. Well, uh, Michael says my mind's craving for things to be right, making sure things are right, and for things to be certain. Okay, so this is the mind craving a certain way, right? 
The mind wants the world to be a certain way. It wants it to function a certain way. You have a certain image in your mind of the right way. And that's the mind craving its own permanence, its own perspective of the world. And when things aren't done that way, the mind's discontent because it hasn't been done the right way, which is truly just Michael's way. It's not the right way necessarily. It's Michael's way, right? So when we latch on and we crave this permanence for things to be done our way, then we go around and we try to control people to do things our way. So you've got to let this go and allow things that you're going to try to have a certain goal to move things in a direction that you know is helpful and beneficial, but you've got to recognize that things can't be your way all the time. That's permanence. It's not going to happen. I think that's all that we have for now, Kishan. Okay. Anything from you, James? We just had Michael post a follow-up. He said, David, I just got an idea relating about craving. That instead of just focusing on the craving, like craving for a chocolate cake, I'll just do the opposite of it and just focus on the solution. Like the solution of just breathing mindfulness in the moment of that craving. Yeah, this is like faking out your mind, right? What you can do is wherever you feel your mind's pulling in a certain direction towards something, you just move it in the opposite direction. Now, oftentimes when we talk about cravings, we think about food. And I just brought that one up as an example. But the way we're using craving in Buddhist teachings is this mental longing with a strong eagerness, not just towards food, but it pulls towards everything, the objects of its affection. So if you're at home and you're having this burning desire to go to the movies and you just want to go to the movies so badly, that's a craving desire attachment. There's nothing wrong with going to the movies, but the mind wants it so badly. And then if you don't go, maybe the mind's going to be sad or angry or frustrated. So when you observe that and you identify that craving, that's where you've got to reflect and you've got to see, ah, the mind wants to go to the movies. Look at that. You sneaky little devil, you. You know what? You're not going to the movies. You're going over here. You know, and you go to the library or you go play football or basketball or whatever. Or you go uh, on a walk or you do something else, right? So wherever the mind is trying to pull you towards, you say, no, 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 you're not getting that. I'm going over here. And maybe you still go see that movie a week or two from now. But in the moment when you feel your mind pulling craving, yearning, longing with a strong eagerness towards something, you kind of fake it out. You're like, no, 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 you're not getting that. You're, you're getting this over here. And you're going to need to train yourself, mind, to be content in this situation. So you can't allow the mind to keep pulling to the objects of its affection because as long as you keep fulfilling that and you're at an age now where if the mind wants to go to the movies, yeah, you can go to the movies and you just go. But what happens when we get a flat tire along the way and we miss the movie? Now we're upset, we're angry, we're frustrated. And as long as we keep pursuing and keep allowing the mind to chase after that movie, for example, you're never going to be able to let it go and realize contentedness. So wherever you see the mind pulling in a certain direction, train it to let it go and then move it in an opposite direction. And then after you do that many, many times and you see the mind is no longer craving the movies, then if you choose to bring it back in, then you can and you know that you've overcome that craving and desire and it's no longer going to cause you any discontentedness. So that's where you've got to strip this back 
closer and closer to the core. And as you peel back those layers, then eventually, as the mind moves into this peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy, then you can kind of slowly bring some of these things back in if you choose. And this is where the mind will be liberated because it will no longer be controlled by its cravings. Because if you get the thought of, hmm, I'd like to go to the movies. Okay, I could go to the movies, but you know what? I could go somewhere else too and be completely fine. Then your mind's liberated. Whereas if the mind's like movie, 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 if I don't get that movie, I'm going to be discontent. Or even if I get the movie, I'm going to be discontent because there's going to be happiness, excitement. As long as the mind is doing that, it's not liberated. It's being controlled by this craving, desire, attachment. You don't have mental discipline because you're not able to actually control the mind. You're carrying around this burden of this craving, desire, attachment. And what we're talking about here is eliminating the burden of having to carry around this craving, desire, attachment. And when you do, the mind is then free. It's liberated. Okay, so work on this, add it to your practice and everything else that you're doing. And as you do, you'll feel more and more peacefulness and these feelings will start to slowly diminish. You're not able to just snap your fingers and let go of some of these cravings. You have to kind of slowly diminish them sometimes. And as you do, you'll see this slowly diminishing strong feelings as well as the mind moves into this more peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy. So maintain your breathing mindfulness meditation, your practice of generosity, and now add this to it, that whenever the red light goes off, painful feelings, pleasant feelings, or feelings that are neither painful nor pleasant, look at that red light and start reflecting. What are the craving desire attachments? You uncover those. If you need help, make a post in the Facebook group, Reach out to me privately, send me a private message, ask a question in class. I'll help you identify these attachments and then put together a plan for how to distance the mind from it so that it can let go and it can be liberated from these craving desire attachments. And once you do, then that's where the mind becomes peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy more and more as you strip away these cravings. One of the ways that I think about this is if you think about a, a truck, a pickup truck, and you have all this garbage or this junk, this pollution in the middle of the pickup truck, and you put a cargo net on top of it, all these anchor points around the cargo net are all the craving, desire, attachments that's keeping the mind burdened and bogged down. What you're doing by identifying these cravings and eliminating them is you're cutting each one of these anchor points around the cargo net to eventually be able to pull that back and now the mind is liberated. So you have to identify each one of these anchor points, each one of these craving desire attachments that's burdening the mind and as you identify it and you then put plans in place to eliminate them, the mind can be liberated and it'll be free. So next Sunday we're going to be in chapter 14 which is the chapter about cultivating healthy mental states. It's about the Brahma Viharas. We're gonna be talking about loving kindness, compassion, sympathetic joy, and equanimity. These are four mental states that need to be cultivated alongside of eliminating these unwholesome mental states. We need to be arising certain wholesome mental states. And that's where we're gonna talk about it next week in chapter 14 on Sunday.
And then on Wednesday, just a few days from now, we're going to be doing loving kindness meditation together, going right into a loving kindness meditation session. So between now and then, have a lovely rest of your day. We'll see you in our next class. Thank you for joining and thank you for all your questions and participation. We'll see you next time. Sawadikhap. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To provide support for this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha. To access more teachings, visit buddhadailywisdom.com. There, you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Remember to establish a daily, consistent meditation practice, along with learning and practicing these teachings. A well-developed meditation practice is the foundation in which to train the mind to attain enlightenment.